For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Tonight, I get the opportunity to celebrate one of my favorite artists, and that's Pat Carroll. I first became uh, aware of Pat Carroll, as many of my generation did, with the annual showings of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella from 1965. I never got a chance to personally meet her, although we had many conversations on the phone over the years. She was writing her memoirs, and she told me that when she finished them, we were going to sit down and we were going to do that conversation. She actually has a friend uh, who hopefully we'll get on a little later, uh, Chrissy Fournier, and she introduced the two of us. I did get the opportunity of seeing her brilliantly on stage a couple of times as Gertrude Stein, and I also saw her uh, locally here in Nyack, New York, at the Helen Hayes Theater a few times. She was on the board of Penguin Rep Theater. She lived, she ate, and she breathed the theater. She was all about taking what she had learned and taking it to others as she learned them and uh, imparting it to the next generation. And she continued to give it to new generations because as Ursula in The Little Mermaid, uh, a whole new generation got to know her. And she took that story uh, to schools. She continued to read. Uh, as a matter of fact, in my research, I found a lot of clips of her going to libraries and schools and reading from The Little Mermaid uh, at local schools uh, throughout Cape Cod where she lived until she passed away just a couple of months ago. But tonight we celebrate her life, her legacy, her career, and her body of worth. But I'd like to begin where it all began with me. And here she is from Rogers and Hammerstein, Cinderella, 1965. Want a girl like her, a frail and floppy beauty. Why can't a fellow ever once prefer a solid girl like me? She's a bulky little bubble with a flimsy kind of charm. And with very little trouble, I could break her little arm. Oh, oh, why would a fellow want a girl like her? So obviously unusual. Why can't a fellow ever once prefer a usual girl like me? Her cheeks are a pretty shade of pink, but not any pinker than a rose is. Her skin may be delicate and soft, but not any softer than a dose is. Her neck is no whiter than a swan's. She's only as dainty as a daisy. She's only as graceful as a bird. So why is the fellow going crazy? Oh, why would a fellow want a girl like her? A girl who's merely lovely. Why can't a fellow ever once prefer a girl who's merely me? She's a frothy little bubble with a frilly sort of hair. And with very little trouble, I could pull out all her hair. Oh, oh, why would a fellow want a girl like her? A girl who's merely lovely. Why can't a fellow ever once prefer a girl who's merely me? Well, 
What's the matter with the man? What's the matter with the man? What's the matter with the man? And how lucky am I that Leslie Ann Warren said yes to being here tonight. Leslie, I'm thrilled that you said yes and welcome to the show once again. Oh, thank you, thank you. That was so much fun to see that again. Yeah, it brought back a lot of memories. Now you and I have talked a lot about Cinderella over the years and we've talked about that particular show and you very young in your career, getting the opportunity of working with these incredible icons uh, right off the bat. Uh, first, it says at the very beginning, introducing Leslie and Warren. Um, and we've talked about meeting these incredible icons, but working with Pat Carroll and this comic genius. Um, what are your earliest memories of working with these great icons? And what are the lessons that you carry through the rest of your career from working with all of them? Well, um, I was so lucky. I was so blessed to walk into Cinderella, the project, although I almost didn't get it <laughs> because my audition was so, my first audition was so bad because I was so nervous and so intimidated by Richard Rogers and the whole company. Um, Johnny Green, the musical arranger, and Eugene Loring, the choreographer. And, but they brought me, Charles Dubin, the director, brought me back for a second audition because he had seen me on Broadway in 110 in the Shade and um, believed that I could, I could overcome that tremendous nervousness and, and deliver. Um, and I'll just tell you quickly, I may have even told this on my the last time we talked, but when I did the second audition, Mr. Rogers sat me down at the piano bench in his apartment and sat next to me and played my funny Valentine and sang it, you know, uh, um, lyric by lyric and had me basically sing it the way that he wanted me to sound in Cinderella. And, um, and I got it. Um, so walking into that with, with, uh, gosh, Ginger Rogers playing my, 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 well, the Queen Mother, and then ultimately my mother, um, Walter Pigeon, Joe Van Fleet, who was a genius actress, and I was the youngest member of the actor's studio at yes. the time, so it was thrilling for me to get to work with her, and very easy for me to feel intimidated and frightened because she was formidable. But then Pat, Carol, and Barbara Ruick were so delightful and so sweet. And Pat was so funny and so warm and, you know, really put me at ease and allowed me to, um, you know, to really just do what I was there to do with her incredible support. So um, she was a joy to be around and, uh, and as far as the lessons that I've learned, I mean, I, I think one of the things that Pat imbued to all of us or expressed to all of us was her, she was so loving. She was so loving and she loved what she did. And, you know, that love uh, translated to all of us. And so most of the time when I go on sets, I remember that and I remember what it felt like to be 
on the receiving end of that and to try to bring that into the working environment. Sometimes it's not so easy. <laughs> well, we talked easy. about something before that happened that's very unusual in this business. And it happened to you and it was a blessing on your head, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. Uh, and that was that this show was shown annually for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. So uh, a few years later, you got the opportunity once again uh, to do Three Penny Opera. I actually have a couple of photographs here. Uh, the first photograph, let me pull these up here. Uh, I have, this is a photograph of you on the set with everyone. I love this photograph. Uh, there you are. And then you got the opportunity to do Three Penny Opera uh, mm -hmm. with Pat Carroll. Mm -hmm. And obviously your career was progressing. And what was that experience like now, uh, moving a few years later, and now appearing on stage with her? Uh, well, it was funny. I'll never, I'll never forget it. Um, on opening night, and I had this, they had taken a number from... Um, one of the other Brecht musicals and inserted it into Three Penny. And I was doing it and it was a very, very sort of balls to the wall kind of number where I got to really, um, you know, be funny and also be very sexy and those were days and, you know, all of that. And and I was so, I, she, I remember she came up to me on opening night and she said, my God, Leslie, you're so white. Are you going to faint? Are you going to pass out? And I was, I was so scared. I was always pretty, pretty easily um, scared, and I was so scared. And um, and she was again. She was so supportive. She said, "Do you want to sit down? Can I get you water?" You know, she was, and I was just, you know, like a deer in headlights. And she, um, she just, she just lent her incredible experience and strength um, to me and the project, but um, b because I was still pretty young and, um, and it was this, you know, as I said, this kind of bang up number that I had to really pull out all the stops and, and do. Watching her in rehearsal was a joy. She was, um, you know, the penultimate professional. She just she knew what to do at the th in the theater. She knew what was required of her. She came fully prepared. She came to play, you know, and she did just that. She was fantastic. That's wonderful. Well, as I mentioned earlier, she was always about giving her gifts to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I want to, you're going to stick around for a few minutes, I hope. Um, I do want to bring on our next guest, and that's Christine Fournier, who we haven't seen each other in a while. Christine, oh and so uh, have you and Leslie ever met, by the way? Never, but I must tell Leslie that I saw her in a play in Philadelphia with John Payne. My God. I know. This is my first. Professional job. It was really, I think, my first job, and we got absolutely trashed. <laughs> the reviews were just horrible. And I cute thought, hey, this is the end of my career. So young, short, little cute little haircut. Oh yeah, remember that? Yeah. Oh, this girl is wonderful. Give her a chance. I know they were they were brutal. Yeah. Well, well, Christine also started out very young with Pat. Um, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. she was Dainty June in Pat's Gypsy. Oh, and wow. they, that was the beginning <laughs> of a wonderful, long friendship. And I have to tell you, as Where I was, was that? Where was it? 
Uh, East Rochester, New York, Town and Country Musicals, 1963. I was oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Great. And I reached out to Ellen Travolta today. Oh. Who, yes, who, who was disappointed that she couldn't be here tonight. Um, of course, it was the last minute that I reached out to her because I didn't know that she was in the show until I got your notice. To, and uh, But anyway, when you, you immediately became fast friends, and oh. you remain friends throughout her entire life. As a matter of fact, uh, here's a photograph of the two of you not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, and I actually have this photograph on my refrigerator door oh. uh, because I love that photograph. I do too. And, um, and you introduced us and the phone calls that I got from her were just wonderful. So thank you for that introduction. Oh, you're welcome. What a joy to pass that connection on because she was, as Leslie has said, she was just about laughter and love and joy and generosity. And she took this kid who was in the chorus. It was boot camp. We did five musicals in nine weeks. And Gypsy was the last one up and Pat came in and they took me out of the ensemble and let me do Dainty June. And she walked in from the airport and there was a little girl, my counterpart, Baby June, who had a voice that could cut through iron. And she stood there and she did her piece because we were doing a read through, sing through. And she was doing her, ah, you know, the little baby June voice. And she just went, Wah! and Pat was standing there watching her. And she said, get rid of the kid. <laughs> we all just broke up. It was just her way of breaking the ice and making everybody laugh. And But she was so generous because she loved to play tennis. And every day she'd be in her whites and she'd play tennis in the morning. And she would meet me at the theater and give me she would coach me on her time and it was amazing. And then all through the years, it seemed like every couple of decades we'd reconnect. And it was always not only just the joy of her knowing her personally, but it was always a masterclass. She always had so much to share and it was just, you just grab on every word. I'm sure you felt that too in Cinderella and other things you did. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you told a very funny story when you and I were talking about her baby shower. No. After, you know, coming to pick you up to take you to the baby shower, if you don't mind sharing that. Oh, no. Um, I was in, I had done a couple of national companies of how to succeed, and we were doing the West Coast Company, and we were playing the Greek theater. And I had met Pat's two older children, Carrie and Sean. I knew her uh, husband, Lee Carcian, and I had been to their home for dinner and so on. Well, she invited me to her baby shower because she was literally out to here with Tara, her youngest. And she pulled up to the motel and her mother was in the front seat and I was in the back seat. And Pat was so large with baby that her belly was brushing the steering wheel. It was quite something to watch her doing this. And in those days you didn't wear seatbelts. <laughs> no, and you didn't wear cute little, and now the girls just let it hang out, you know, but that, she had the whole thing outfit. And we drove out to the valley and the, actually the baby shower was thrown by her friends at Desilu which was lovely. And her mother-in-law was there and all these Armenian ladies. And after lunch, they read the coffee grounds. And it was just a phenomenal, fun afternoon. And then she drove me back to the hotel, the motel. And then we got her a house seat to see the show. And she went into labor. She never saw the oh. show. <laughs> so that, But that was a marvelous afternoon. I'll always treasure it. It was really special. Special. Well, I want to bring our next guest on. Um, Dan Goggin is responsible for putting her in a nun's habit. Uh, Dan Goggin is 
the man behind Nonsense and Nonsense 1, Nonsense 2, Nonsense 25, Nonsense 30. <laughs> How many productions of Nonsense are there, Dan? Well, there's, there's seven main ones. But if you count Nonsense, Amen, and Sister Robert Ann's cabaret class, excuse me, <clears throat> then you can count it nine. Well, well, God bless you for everything. How did you and Pat originally meet? And uh, how, how many productions of Nonsense did she end up doing with you? She did 10 productions of Nonsense. Wow. And she said it was one of the most fun shows that she had ever done. And to be able to go out and for two hours, just make people laugh. And one time, she, as, as you guys have been saying, she was so wonderful and so warm and so kind that one time she came into me and she said, do you realize every day somewhere in the world, somebody is laughing because of this show? And she would do everything like that just to make you feel special. And but the here's the funny thing. When Nonsense opened, you know, it wasn't a smash hit because um, it was, we were downtown and it took time to build up a little audience. But once it took off, um, Samuel French had bought the licensing rights. And um, we opened December 85 and probably maybe February or something like that of 86. It started booking out into other places and people had heard about it. And um, a, a French always had this kind of hierarchy. They'd let the major theaters take the show first and then the second ones and the summer stock and all that down to community theater. And so I, I got a call from a group in Virginia and they said, we want to we want license nonsense. And I said, oh, I said, it's going to be hard because French won't let it out and I don't control that. I can't make them do that. And I said, I don't know. The only way maybe you could do it is if you had a star and I'd never worked with a star. Um, and and uh, they said, well, how about Pat Carroll? I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Is this call for real? And it turned out that it was a friend of Pat's. I don't remember who it was because it was so long ago, but who lived in Virginia and had this little kind of a barn theater. And and Pat said she, she would do Mother Superior there. And, and Frank said, absolutely. And she was the first star ever. Because the only time when I came to New York, you know, obviously I came as an actor. And I was in Luther with Albert Finney. And after that, that was the last star I ever worked with. And so then when, when Pat came into it, it was like we met and uh, I didn't direct it or anything. I just came down to see it with them. And uh, it, it was so comfortable. We were sitting like in a farmhouse. And it was it was just like with your old buddies. I, I grew up in a little town in Michigan. And, and it was like that. And then... As time went on, you know, they kept asking her to do it and asking her to do it. And one critic, I remember, you guys are talking about you know, the, the bad reviews and the good ones. We either get the people who love nonsense or they hate it. And and but we were we were playing, and one critic said, "Poor Pat Carroll. Here she came from being false staff in in oh, right. and now she's reduced to this comedy." With, with Mother Superior. And it was something like, well, sometimes the champagne is sometimes pretzel severe. And Pat Carroll said, I need to tell him 
that this is my favorite show to do. I think again, like we were all talking about, she loved bringing joy to people so much. Mm -hmm. And and I have to tell you, one time, not that long ago, really, she, uh, they have the Gilbert and Sullivan Theater group plays at the Symphony Space, which is two blocks from my house here in Manhattan. And she, she was doing Little Buttercup. In, in Pinafore. Yes. In yes, Pinafore. I saw it. Yes. If, if you saw it, it was so hysterical because here was this big heavy set lady singing, I'm called Little Buttercup. <laughs> it was great. It was so hilarious. And, you know, and I went out with her afterward and she said, that was on my bucket list. And now I can check it off. I always wanted to do a Gilbert and Sullivan show. But um, as everybody's saying, she she just reached everybody. And we would always send cards every year. And I remember when she was 80, she, she was always so great for a joke. And I found this card and on the front, it, it had a big 80. And then you opened it up and it said, that is so fucking old. And we <laughs> roared at that. Now, oh. now it's not as funny to me as <laughs> up there. I thought whoever thought that was a joke, but that was her, she loved that kind of humor, you know? And she would, she would always write me and tell me, you know, those kind of things, or she was working on, on some new play that she was gonna do somewhere. She always seemed like she always had a project. And uh, just and then one year she called me and she was going back to a reunion. I don't know whether it's a high school or college reunion. And she says, "Can you can you get me a nun's habit so that I can go because I, I want to go and have everybody think that I left and I went to the convent." She arrived at this reunion as a nun, and uh, as I say, just just the experiences with her were always just so absolutely wonderful. And talk about somebody too, who was just just plain folk, you know? I I get, like Leslie, when you were saying, people can intimidate you, I'm the same way. It's like, if I have to go out to dinner with, with somebody famous, I'm just, I'm just so nervous. I, I'd rather go to the diner, you know? I said, I tell people I don't have many rich friends because they use too much silverware. And like, you know, kick your feet up, put them on the coffee table, you know, what you want, you know, and uh, just, just such a wonderful, wonderful woman. And I was, you know, so sad to hear about her passing because she's one of those people, didn't you think she was just going to be here forever? That there'd always yeah, be you could call up, you know, and you know. Then after that, I've, I've worked with many wonderful people, and um, and I remember one time we had some kind of anniversary thing for nonsense, and and it was Pat Carroll and Phyllis Diller were there, and to listen to the two of them and the stories that these people would tell, just just amazing, and and just what what a wonderful wonderful woman. Um, and she was, she was like mom to all of us, you know, and just just took care of everybody. And as, as you guys were saying, just the ultimate professional. And, uh, you know, and I think she was one of those people. That I never saw her get tested with anybody, but, you know, she, in, she encouraged everybody to tell the line. And so that I think everybody, everybody wanted not to let her down either. And so she always, um, 
created a wonderful atmosphere in the company. And um, I will tell everyone that on YouTube, there's a great uh, clip now uh, from Pioneers of Television that was just put up after her passing. Um, and it's almost a masterclass of her talking. Have you seen it, Christine? I, I just saw it. I just watched it. And it is so brilliant. It is. It's her talking uninterrupted about the business and how it's changed so much. And she's talking about what the business was like when she came into it and what today's generation is truly missing out on. Um, I wanna come back to you in a moment, Dan, but I wanna ask you a question, Leslie, uh, because you got anointed uh, early on uh, by Disney uh, and you became part of the Disney family. And it happened to Pat later on in life with The Little Mermaid. And she became such a part of the Disney family. And she's such an icon with Disney as well. Can you talk for a moment about what that experience is like to be brought into that world of Disney and the legacy that that carries on long after uh, she's gone and you as well? Yeah, I'm still here. I know that. I know. And you will be for a long, long time. Uh, but I'm, uh, but um, I'm talking about the legacy that that carries it was, with it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's, it was, to this day, it's um, one of the favorite studios that I've ever worked at and been a part of. And you truly, truly feel like you are part of, well, back then when Walt Disney was there. Um, and the movie that I, my first movie for him was his last film, but I was still under contract with them and I did one more film for them after he was gone, but you, it was a family. I mean, you hear that a lot in show business, you know, it's like a family, but most of the time it's not, (laughs) but this, this really was, I mean, he, you know, he, he, every department he was, he was, absolutely plugged in to every department, whether it was the animators or the commissary or what was what colored bows in my hair. I mean, he knew and was a part of and was involved and invested in every single thing that went on there. So it had, you know, it had the imprint of his um, sensibility. And that was respect and civility and grace and hard work for sure, but you never felt that kind of, uh, you know, monetary pressure that goes on today when you go go to work, in my opinion. Um, Even if they try to keep it away from you, it's always sort of there, you know, the poor directors that come, come in and have to, you know, deliver under tremendous pressure, you know, but, but being a part of the Disney world and Disney family, I just connected I would say it's about six months ago, maybe seven months ago, with Haley Mills, because I we were there was a tribute to the Sherman Brothers here in LA, and it was a, it was at the Academy, and I sang a song from The Happiest Millionaire, and she sang a song from Pollyanna on one of the movies, and you know I loved her when I was I was a few years younger than her, I loved her, and I wanted to be her, you know, and I told her all that. And then we got to connect and we, you know, today in the world, you can send emails and have a connection, you know? So, and that, and we talked a lot about the Disney world and how, how totally protective and full of uh, 
I said it before, but full of grace it was to work there. It was just, um, you know, an utter um, blessing in every way. And so for that to be my start in the movie business was incredible, you know, other than the John Payne debacle. <laughs> Think nothing of it. You were young. I was very young. Um, but, younger, so, younger. So from her, I'm sure that, that she, you know, if she could speak now about it, I know that she would say the same thing because once you're in that world, you're in there, it's forever. And they, um, and you feel it, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it was a, ma a magical time. Wow, and what brilliant casting for her to be Ursula. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Christina, uh, you were so young going into Gypsy with her. Um, and I'm all about celebrating artists and their body of worth. Um, when were you truly aware of her body of worth and her legacy and the work that she was doing? And were you able throughout her career to see her at other times on stage? I didn't see her on stage except one time, besides Gypsy, was when this writer friend of hers in Texas wrote her the script for Gertrude Stein, Gertrude Stein, Gertrude Stein. Which I saw in 1979. I was a regular groupie. I follow her from city to city with other friends to see her do that. And it was, well, first of all, for an actor to stand on the stage and be in the character for two hours, how does anybody hold on to that, you know, script? <laughs> but she just had the facility. And it was such a, a wonderful, she fit that so well. It just, she just knew it. She did it. And she had that incredible sense of just that popped out at you. And of course, from what we know of the history of Gertrude Stein, yes, you know, so it was a very apropos casting, I think, and it was her project. But I just want to share one thing, if I may. Oh, absolutely. Um, in 74, I did Sweet Charity at a theater in St. Paul. And uh, a news photographer I knew had come out and taken bits and pieces from the preview and turn it into a 35 millimeter film. Pat was in Minneapolis at a dinner theater doing Everybody Loves Opal. And she, I got in touch with her as we always used to connect on these moments. And she came over when they were dark on the dark night. She took a cab from Minneapolis to St. Paul. It's not across the street, it's across a river. And came over and literally watched the film and a whole cast assembled, all our cast. And she watched the film and she gave us all of her feedback. And it was like a master class, but it was so full of joy. And these young people in this cast were just totally blown away. And for her to just on her night off, to just come over and just, again, immerse herself in the process and to share that was just who she was. She just couldn't wait. She loved it. She couldn't wait to get into it. And of course, we all went with her. <laughs> it was well, of course. Another, yeah. another time. She just, yeah. There's so much you could say that you run out of words because, wow. yeah, you know. So. Dan, I want to ask you, I mean, you have been so fortunate with all of these great. Oh, I have to go, Richard. Oh, Leslie, before you go, first of all, thank you for Sorry. being here tonight. Sorry. I know that you've been so busy. Um, been and busy. Uh, what's next for you, Leslie? Uh, well, I have a movie that's uh, on Amazon Prime right now called It Snows All the Time, which is about dementia, um, mm. early onset dementia with Brett Cullen, who plays 
the, my husband who gets this horrible diagnosis. And it's really about how the family and, uh, you know, how it affects the whole family and how the wife gets to deal with it. And, um, and then I, I did, I came back from Savannah for three months. I was in Savannah for three months, which was hell. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful, but they have these bugs there, like a lot of bugs. So that was hard. Um, it, but the series is called Panhandle, and that's going to be on um, September 26th on Spectrum Originals. And then I have another movie that I did that is in post right now called Home Delivery, and I don't I don't know yet where that will stream. And then another little movie that I did that was really, really fun for me. Um, and again, I don't know, you know, when and where, you know. And the last thing I have going is that I'm going to hopefully, hopefully, I've been working on something for five years now, I think. Uh, I optioned a book that I loved and it was turned into a screenplay by, by an Academy Award winning screenwriter um, and his and two, two other people. And just found out today that they it looks like they can actually make the movie for 20, um, 25 days for the budget that they have accrued. And it's a, it's a really great script and I'm really excited about it. But we'll see, you know, you never know. Well, before you go, I want to say That's very it. quickly. But so great to be a part of this and yes. so I want to say this very quickly before you go. First of all, happy early birthday. Thank you. And I want to say thank you. When I reach out to you, you're always there. And that means a lot to me. And uh, you've got so many fans here, me being a huge fan. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, TCM showed once again, Victor Victoria. And it's been a long time since I had seen it, but I sat down and watched it again. And that's brilliance, brilliance, brilliance. So, it is. Yeah. It was yeah. wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very I'm so much. Proud of it. Thank you for being here. Okay, bye. Lovely thank to you. meet everybody. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful. And I will pick you off. So thank you and have okay. a great evening. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Goodbye. Oh, oh my. I, love her. I do too. So, I loved her in that movie too. She just stole the movie. I mean, it's hard oh, to I, I was watching it the other night and I just, I mean, I just, it, it, it's just so incredible. Uh, but Dan, I want to ask you, uh, as you know, uh, Jody uh, and I were very close friends. And I, one of the funniest uh, shows I saw was at the Helen Hayes here uh, with Jody just uh, being um, Dodie. Yeah. Think about all these great actresses who have done uh, nonsense. And Pat, obviously, I and what a great thrilled to find out she was the first. When it comes to the casting of this um, and you get someone like Pat Carroll, um, does all of your other casting hinge on that uh, iconic actress that you get? Or how does your casting go about? And how involved are you involved in the casting uh, with these productions of Nonsense? Well, it depends. Originally, you know, we were all very involved. And a lot of the reason was the producers just found it was the easiest way to do it. Just bring in the group who knows how to do it and put, have them put it up. And uh, and we would do that. And a lot of times we had one set that we toured with and we would go in where like we played the Fords at one point. And, 
and and we came in and you know our technical director technical director traveled with us knew how to put the set together and the crew that was there said uh how can we help you the best and we said go across the street and get a drink and and <laughs> at the time frankie um what's her frankie hewitt <coughs> was was sick and she called to the general manager and she said I feel just terrible that I can't come in even to greet them. And that show was going to have, I think one time well, oh, with Peggy Cass, we were there. And uh, um, she said, I just feel terrible. And the general manager said, you don't have to feel terrible. We're across the street in the restaurants. They're putting the whole thing together. So in those original ones, um, it was really our whole original team. And, and basically we gave them the show, but in terms of casting, usually the stars were chosen by a producer. You know, somebody would call me up and say, we've, we've hired Pat Carroll to be the mother superior and would you like to direct the show and put it blah, blah, blah. Then most often they would like when our cast from New York, that was kind of our primo working cast would come because they knew it and that would make it easier on the star to learn it. Interestingly, um, after we had done a few productions, um, I can't remember which, who said it, but they said of all the shows they had ever done, you'd look at nonsense and you think, oh my God, this is a piece of cake. We just get up here and be funny. And they said, it is the hardest show I have ever done because you never stop talking or singing or dancing. and and you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You never get placed in the center like Lauren Bacall and people dance around you. Mm -hmm. Always with them. And uh, so I remember one time we were taking a song away from Rue McClanahan because we figured there was so much to learn. It was just too much. And we thought, oh my God, what's she going to say? You know, you can't take a song away from me. Or when we went, went in, to work with her and we said that we, we think we're going to have to take away this one song and it had dancing and everything in it she said oh my god i love you so much i love you so much i'm going to take you out to dinner so we decided with every show we'd tell her there was a song that we she had to do and then we would take it out <laughs> uh, i'll share you know I, this is about pat today but i will share this Dodie goodman story uh we went to see Dodie. just it, she was still in previews at the helen hayes theater here and she was uh, doing the Mother Superior and she's doing the song about how they got to Hoboken. Right. And she forgot the lyrics to the song. She, and she, the whole setup is that she, the song is how they got there. Right. And she uh, tells the audience, you're going to be quizzed at the end of the song. So she forgets the lyrics. And, but I am dying because I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever ever seen on stage and the more befuddled Dodie, it's Dodie Goodman, the more befuddled she got, the funnier it got. And Terry White and Lynn Tucci are standing behind her and they're just there doing their thing. And she turns around and she says, for God's sake, is anyone going to help me? <laughs> and I fell off my seat. I was dying so much. And after the show, she said, oh, my God, Richard, she said, you know the lyrics. Why didn't you jump up? <laughs> Funny. 
Jody was one of my very best buddy friends. She lived three blocks from me here in New York. And if somebody would come, I'd call her up and I'd say, Dodie, I said, we got friends here from Michigan. They want to go to they want to go to lunch with a star. She said, Are we going to the happy burger? <laughs> and uh, um, and we'd go and she'd come in, she'd say, I'm the neighborhood celebrity. <laughs> Just the, the most wonderful woman um, and hilarious. And I have to tell you, it was always interesting to me because I also had Alice Ghostly as Mother Superior. And the two of them, you think of them both as like the ditzy people in the world. And Alice Ghostly was in real life exactly as she was on screen. She was daffy as could be. And when she came, I remember one time she came to me and she says, Danny, Danny, you have to, you have to stay by me because she's, you know, I have spells. <laughs> we would just howl. Jody, on the other hand, who played this just totally wacky character all the time, would call me up and she'd say, Listen, Danny, I'm watching the stock ticker. You, if you got something in this stock, you got to watch this and get it out. She knew stocks and bonds and she had properties that, you know, she ran um, that were like income producing, you know, and and just the the cleverest lady that way. But um, she was, again, a comic genius. And I, I just, I knew of her from Jack Carr and that, but I saw her from Mary Hartman. Well, I mean, uh, I want to ask you both. I mean, Christine, do you have out of, her, I mean, you said you didn't see her many other times on stage again, uh, Pat, uh, but do you have a favorite role on either television or film that you saw Pat do? Oh my. Um, well, I used to just admire, and she hate, she got very tired of the quiz shows, but she was so quick on those shows. Even the person who was, you know, the, the uh, host or the, the people who, you know, created the questions or the situations, they weren't able to keep up with her. So that part. But um, I would say I truly loved her at, with uh, Barbara Ruick, the two of them. during yes. I thought she was she was just wonderful. I mean, I don't remember too much in the Danny Thomas show. I didn't remember watching that specifically. But no, if you've seen her, I mean, there's a classic episode where Mary Tyler Moore ends up in the hospital and oh, she's sharing a room with uh, her. And she is so brutal to Mary. She was talking um, about that in the interview. Yes, that she yeah. got emailed. She got people wrote to her <laughs> saying, how could you be so cruel to her? And wow. she was playing a part, but she was so, and I loved her on Too Close for Comfort. I reached out to Nancy Dusso, who unfortunately could not be here tonight uh, nice. because she was just so wonderful on that show. And I wish that I had gotten, you know, uh, that Ellen Travolta was able to be here tonight. Oh, as well. She was um, so lovely. Yes. But, uh, well, when, you, when you mentioned this cruelty thing, um, when Pat's daughter, Tara, adopted a baby and her granddaughter, I remember her name, but we were visiting that last picture you have. We went out to visit her in Cape Cod and went to lunch. And we came back to her. She had a lovely cottage. It was just so pat. And I remember she had us come into her. She had run a room with lots of memorabilia. And there was pictures of her, big cartoons of her as Ursula. And she said, you know, 
she said, I had a I had some moments where my granddaughter was really worried that grandma was like Ursula. And she mm. said, I really had to work hard to convince my granddaughter that I wasn't Ursula, that I was playing a role. But it was the way she described it was so hilarious because she was really, she was doing a lot of tap dancing trying to make sure that her granddaughter was, you know, cool. You know, she was a crack poker player. Um, I remember up in stock, we'd get paid with cash, you know, in our little envelopes and she would go out and she'd play with the crew and she'd clean them out once a week. Well, they good were, for her. So they kept going back to play and she kept winning. And the other thing she had was a, a she got a law degree by correspondence. She never stopped. No kidding. Wow. One joke about, you said something about Peggy Cass. I'll never forget one of her jokes that she used to share was she'd be in a restaurant somewhere and then someone would walk up and they'd get stars in their eyes and they go, oh, oh, I know you. How do I know you? You, you're, you're. And Pat would say, Peggy Cass. And they'd go, oh, yes. <laughs> that, was, that was a joke she would pull. And, you know, it was a ride because people went along with it. Went along with it. Oh, she my God. Make people laugh all the time. There's a great moment in they. Uh, um, there must be a pony uh, where Elizabeth Taylor is coming down uh, an escalator and it's written into the script. And this woman runs up to her and says, can I have your autograph, Miss Collins? And she oh. said, sure. And she signs it. And I, I, I think it's Robert Wagner said, well, why didn't you correct her? And she said, she worked a long time to get those fans. Why should I correct her? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, and I love that. Uh, I mean, Dan, I mean, you're off time with Pat. I mean, uh, I mean, you talk, uh, were there moments that where you just let your hair down, uh, favorite moments that the two of you together that were not work related? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that once, when, when she would play in, in Boston at the Charles Playhouse, um, usually they would bring stars in for six weeks at a time. And I actually had said to the producer, I said, well, you know, why why do they come just for six weeks? Because by the time, uh, you know, the, the uh, people around town hear that she's there, she's gone. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We had an incredible marketer. You know, the show ran 10 years in Boston. And, and what he said was, every time we brought in a new star, the newspapers would give us coverage again. And before the other, they said, they're not gonna write about nonsense anymore. And they've done all that, but they'll write about Pat Carroll or they'll write about Alice Ghostly and interview them and have them on the local TV shows and that. And that was the cleverness behind behind that. Mm. And uh, so that, that uh, the stars would go to the different places like that. I remember we had Alice in Chicago, um, and then Kay Ballard. Kay Ballard was the was the star of the first star company that opened at um, uh, what is it now in Miami? But you know, I don't think it's running anymore. Um, it was a real popular playhouse. But anyway, it, coconut, uh, was it the Coconut Grove? Yes, at Coconut Grove. Yes, and um, and that was Kay and J P Morgan. And uh, um, who at Marsha Lewis? Oh my God! What a cast! Oh, it was it it was amazing. And uh, when you were speaking about Peggy and speaking about uh, um, the casting and that, I remember when when and Dodie forgetting the words. 
I, Peggy had a hard time with the words. And one night in, in uh, uh, Washington, um, it came to the part where, let me, let me tell you the history of the order. And that was that part you were talking about, Richard, that was a long discussion. Pat, Peggy just turned to Marsha and said, Hubert, her name was, was she Sister Hubert. Sister Hubert, give them the history of the order. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Dare <laughs> to do that. Now, fortunately, Marsha had been with the show long enough that um, you know, she knew it and and and, it, and she pulled her out. But the, the when you were asking me about the casting, what was interesting to me, and I've always told the girls, even to this day, I said we have two rules. One is and I, uh, that um, if the audience thinks that your showgirls playing nuns, it's not going to be funny. They got to think that you're real nuns trying to be showgirls. And we were very specific about the habits and how they did all this stuff. And, and, and I said, the other thing is, it's you as a nun. There is, it's based on five nuns who taught me, but not, not anything specific. It just it gave me the the impetus to get it going, but I said it's who you are. And Phyllis Diller, when I had her, she was trying to create a character, and I said, I said Phyllis, you're you're you know getting in your own way. I said, don't you think if Phyllis Diller became a nun, she would have been a pretty funny nun? And she said, yeah, I guess so. I said that's who Mother Superior is. It's mm. Phyllis Diller in the convent. And so anyway, when Kay Ballard played Mother Superior. He was uh, Marsha Lewis is her, and Kay was kind of a sweet mother superior, and uh, you know even if she was admonishing somebody, th there would be a little bit of charm to it. Peggy was just full of, full of person vinegar the whole way, and and uh, there was one scene where one of them said something about, uh, you know, don't you blame don't you blame me this on me, and and I, Kay would say it in her own way she'd say like don't you blame this on me i i didn't know they you know the sisters were dying or whatever it was and and then peggy cast would say don't you blame this on me i didn't know the sisters were dying." and marcia said to me she said i feel like i'm in a different play <laughs> All of a sudden, and then i would have to, do i miss her oh. then i would have to say to them you, you, you have to realize that the mother superior was Sister K for a long time. And Sister K is gone now and Sister Peggy's taken over and Sister Peggy is different than, than um, you know, Sister, uh, the, than Sister K was. And that, then it became really fun watching the different companies and especially in the long runs where, where they would they would change casts and different things and the dynamics and how they would change saying the very same lines and um the, and i didn't know re until recently because i have friends in the new version of company and i didn't realize because they always kept saying we never change the lines we never change the lines and i saw the original company and i thought it doesn't seem the same well then i found out they switched the characters the lines are the same but the girl who was saying the lines in the original, now the guy was, and the husband. And I thought, oh, that's what it is. And um, you know, so it some of this stuff, like when you discover it as you're working on these things, it's really, really fascinating. But I thought the people who did the best were always the ones 
who were comfortable. Um, I, we did a show in Australia with a, a lady who was the famous Australian star. And, and I said to her one day, her name was Sheila, somebody. And I said, Sheila, all you have to do is just be yourself. She looked like Mother Superior, sounded like her. And, and she said, oh, Danny, that's the only thing I can't do very well. Wow. <laughs> is, be, is be herself. And I found that people who've done a cabaret act or anything like that um, can do well. And I think Pat, first of all, Pat was the Mother Superior. She she just embodied her completely, and I don't I don't remember now if she grew up Catholic or not, but she knew the everything inside now. You know, in terms of being knowledgeable about what a mother superior would know in in general life. And um, Do you grew up in that world. Do either of you know? I know that she's from. She grew up in Louisiana. I don't know, it's, and I don't know that we ever we ever really talked about it. We would. We would, you know, talk about dealing with things like critics or else we would just go out and, you know, talk about what was happening in the world or, you know, whatever. But, um, and, you know, she was always just very, uh, in, in her place up in, in uh, Connecticut, um, that, that was like, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies in the backwoods, you know. And that's how there was in Virginia. Everybody was just just down home and hang the clothes on the clothesline, and, you know, and um, just just really, really fun and easy that way. But um, well, I like I said, I mean, and again, uh, Chrissy, I will always uh, be indebted to you. That uh, first day she called me, uh, and and she said, "Hello, Richard. It's Patsy. It wasn't Pat. It was Patsy." And it was yeah. like I was talking to an old friend, yeah. and I felt like we, we were someone that I had known for a long, long time. But first of all, I want to thank both of you and Leslie too. We're at the end of our show, oh, yes. not. and uh, Dan and Christine, I want both of you back individually because we're going to do a full show on both of you. Oh um, my goodness! Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I've got a bookshelf of Christine's books, and and she's dropping a carrot that she's going to write her own stories. Um, Dan, you've got to know Christine's story. I mean, Fozzie Dancer, the original Sweet Charity on Broadway, incredible story in her own right. Dan, and I want to hear about all the nuns and how you got in the habit. Knowing Christine, this is so much, so much fun because a lot of times, especially when we started Nonsense, you become so insulated that that you don't, you know about things, but it's not like you're meeting other people. And, you know, this is a horrible thing to say to young people, but before Neil Simon died, he told my, my agent, he said, you know, all we can say is we were there when it was good. Yes. Uh, Amen. Yeah. The 60s, man. I mean, oh, it was yes. I'm going to say my closing remarks, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Dan. And then I'm going to turn it over to you, Christina. You've got the final remarks tonight because you knew her the longest and the deepest. Uh, and don't worry about how to end the show because when uh, you say goodbye, the closing credits will roll. Oh, but 
what I want to say to everybody tonight, first of all, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. And I know I can speak with Christine, Dan, and Leslie as well. Uh, and I've said this before at the end of other shows, so I know I sound like a broken record, but it's worth repeating. We don't take it lightly when you show up. So thank you for all uh, being here tonight. Um, if you are here for the first time, I hope it will not be your last. Uh, please leave a comment on YouTube after the show. Uh, consider subscribing and share this with your friends. I want to talk a little bit about what Christine just said, how lucky we were in the 60s. Yeah. Um, but there's more to that. I know what she's referring to, and I know what Dan's referring to, but I want to talk about civility, and I want to talk about uh, a wonderful world of three networks where yeah. the family would sit down together and the family would watch whatever was on television. So I remember very vividly the first time that Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella was on TV and I was at my grandmother Skipper's house because they had a color television set. Oh. Watched it in color. <laughs> and when you watched it that first year, you watched something on television never thinking that you would ever get the opportunity to see it again. Right. So you watched it with that excitement mm -hmm. that it was in the moment that you didn't think that you were going to pop a DVD in tomorrow and watch it again, or a VHS, or that you would see it in the movies a week later. It was that moment of being in the moment of experiencing that for that moment and experiencing it with my grandparents and my parents yeah. and my sister and my brother. And there was nothing like it. And it was exciting. And okay. I fell in love with Leslie and Warren. And I fell in love with Pat Carroll. And I fell in love with that entire cast. And then a year later, it was coming back. And it came back for 10 years. And so there was that steady moment of every year, our family coming together and having that moment that we shared together. And we don't have that anymore. Yeah. And so the fact that my family, because I see names here that show up for me night after night after night, and I don't take it lightly. I end all my shows by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, and I really mean it. It's not lip service. After tonight's show, go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the seventh name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not mm -hmm. an email message, not a text message, mm -hmm. not a private inbox message, a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Because as my dear friend, Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're gonna go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. Mm -hmm. so, leave the screen now and Dan, you've got the next word. Anything that we wanted to, uh, that we didn't talk about tonight that you wish we had, or just any message that you want to leave everyone with tonight, and then you'll turn it over to Christine and everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night and have a great night. Thank you. And Dan, it's all yours. Oh, thank you. I, I just want to say that my experiences 
with Pat Carroll are, are times that I'll never forget. And the wonderfulness of Pat and the, the lovingness that she would show, it's like Richard said, you, you felt instantly that she was your friend when she came to meet you and the friendship lasted on and on and on. And I think that some of us still try to bring that feeling of the 60s that we were talking about when, when uh, you know, everything was, was more contained and civil and, and, you know, you didn't have 1400 channels and people with no attention span and that. And <laughs> that was one of those people that, that, you know, when you just sat down with her, you could sit with her forever because between her stories and things that she help you with or you bring up something with her, it, it was just absolutely amazing. And I know she's watching us right now and she's probably saying, well, why didn't you tell them about this? That would have been the story. But we did, we, we've done the best we could. And uh, this has been just a great fun for me. It's so much fun. Meeting you, Christine. Totally meeting you, Dan. Look forward to more, and I'll turn it over to you, and you can finish this off. <laughs> well, my career ended coming back to the Midwest, and I discovered that I could teach. And I was able to pass on, and I'm still doing it today, still teaching, of all the things that Pat shared with me, not just her incredible professionalism and joy, but her humanness. And I truly believe that today I stand on the shoulders of Pat Carroll, who taught me so much, and now I am passing that on. And it is such an amazing gift, and I'm so grateful. I really am, and thank you, Pat.